0: Hey, hey, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we make it easier for you to do hard stuff. Today on the show, I'm actually joined by one of my internet buddies, Ryan O'Connor. My wife makes fun of me for having internet buddies, but these are, these are people that I've met online or through social media and corresponded with and have built up actually quite a cool relationship with a lot of people that I've never met in real life, hanging out and really looking forward to the time that I do get to meet these guys, but Ryan O'Connor is, is one of them, and Ryan and I have been aware of each other probably for about a year or so now. This is the first time I have had him on the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. It's actually the first time he has been on a podcast, so make sure you're gentle when you're listening. Um, Ryan is an optometrist. He's the host of his own podcast, The Stag Roar, which is is designed to, to help people live a better life. And this is a really fascinating conversation. It's a It's a very conversational conversation as well, as you would expect, kind of two guys just having a bit of a chat. But some of the stuff that we talk through today is is quite interesting in, in regards of the to the things that Ryan does to to look after himself, to help him get outside of his comfort zone. We talk about the role that the nervous system as well plays in discomfort and in pain and in fear and in avoidance and in catastrophizing. Ryan comes at it from With his optometrist hat on, I come at it a little bit with my my physiotherapist, but also my my study of comfort zones hat on as well, and the responses of the nervous system are really similar in all aspects, so hopefully you guys get to science nerd out on that a little bit today, Um, we don't go real deep into the weeds, so hopefully for people that aren't of that scientific uh, bent, then it's not too heavy for you. There's a lot of other good stuff in there, if it is, so just flick forward over that part. For those of you who are hanging out in Wellington on the 26th of January, make sure to head along to my workshop, the Samount Workshop, all about making it easier to step out of your comfort zone and take on a challenge in 2019 Uh, you can grab your tickets surmountcourse.com s-u-r-m-o-u-n-t course.com you've still got time if you listen to this before the 26th of january would love to see you there but thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with ryan and i today ryan o'connor welcome to the uncomfortable is okay podcast bro how are you today
1: Awesome, thanks mate. It's beautiful weather here in northern rivers of Australia. Probably a bit too hot, but had a nice walk on the beach with my daughter and and partner this morning. So yeah, we're we're good over here.
0: Nice, nice. And you're usually on the other side of the microphone asking the questions. Have you been a guest on many podcasts before?
1: This is my first time as a guest. Yesterday I recorded uh, some questions for somebody, but that was... That was pretty easy because it was just, here's your prompts and go for it. But this is yeah. the first time actually having to uh, answer some questions in person. They're just going to be fired at you without Done. thinking about it.
0: <laughs> nice, mate. I'll, I'll try and be gentle for your first time. Let's, let's start things off. Let's, let's go easy, bro. Where were you born? Where did you grow up?
1: I'm from Invercargill. So we sort of lived in a small house till I was about four. And then we moved out to a semi-rural area of Invercargill, which is called Ot- Ototaro or Tatarafia. if you if you're watching the news um and yeah we had two acres there and and, and some sheep and we were surrounded by a bush and pretty good natured neighbors that let us go out and climb their trees and, and weren't too worried about a bunch of kids running around the neighborhood and and had some good neighbors over the road who again had a big paddock out the back and you know it wasn't really farmed or anything we'd just sort of go out the back and make huts and play war games and yeah it was it was pretty loose and through high school, just yeah, really focused on sport. I was, I was a swimmer for a while and sort of gave that up to concentrate on playing soccer and, and water polo and small town places, sort of ended up playing with adults to get good competition. But it was definitely easy, five minutes from anywhere, and you could do a lot while you were there. So it was really good times.
0: Mm, yeah. And I mean, I think I probably had a, a similar upbringing to you living in kind of semi rural. New Zealand a little bit out of a few towns I was born in West Auckland but that was the 80s so it was still yep. like West Auckland was still real rural A we had a creek and some bush at the back of our house so I really understand what you mean about kind of just being out able to go out and make huts and, and build things as well and I think like that sets you up for just to have a massive appreciation for nature and getting outside your older years as well yeah it'd be interesting to see if kids that grow up in really urban environments at the moment, like what effect that has on them as they become adults?
1: I'm an optometrist, and so that's one of our biggest concerns is that this massive urbanisation of the population has meant that everybody's spending way, way more time inside, and so the rates of short-sightedness are going up massively. And so how we deal with this urbanisation of culture, of society is having a massive effect on you know not just people's mental health and 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 the way they eat and the way they exercise and the way they move but also in the way that they see the biggest thing you can do to prevent short sightedness is be outside so yeah it's, you know there's so much to consider with with what's happening to society these days
0: mm. i'm going to loop back around to chatting about sort of upbringing but from a like a, a an optometrist point of view like with the urbanization and the time inside Is that short-sightedness, is that brought about by just training our eyes to look at things at a close distance or is there, and actually what we can do is kind of go and retrain our eyes to get better at distance view and vision afterwards or is once it happens is that something that's irreversible? So the
1: sort of theory behind it is quite loose, a lot of it based on what, slows things down and also in animal models how you influence to, to get the model. So when it comes to trying to induce short-sightedness in a in an animal, you do what's called form deprivation. So you put a lens in front that takes away any distinction and the eye will grow longer. Or you can put a lens in front of the eye that puts the focus of, of the eye when looking at distance behind the eye and the eye will start to compensate for that and increase. So the theory behind does more near work influence the way that the eye grows is, is that they think that the focusing of the eyes a little bit will only do as, as much as it needs to do, which means that mm-hmm. the focus of the, the eye slightly behind the eye went up close and which could induce a growth phase and then for being outside and, and looking far away, it means that the muscle in the eye is relaxed as it possibly can and overall sheath of the eyeball as well as relax as it possibly can and therefore the and also the margin for error between what's in focus and what's out of focus is minimal and so therefore you don't get these same growth signals happening then there's a whole realm of energy and and hormone signals so maybe dopamine and, and serotonin are also helping the the eyeball to stable way and not sort of exceed this massive growth and end up short-sighted so yeah and you could also say that the the type of light that you get from inside you know it's not as bright it's different spectrums hey there's there's many many things that could influence the growth mm. of the eye it's not something that they have pinpointed yet but definitely currently we've got little ways of, of trying to hack the system and slow that progression of eye growth and hopefully mean that someone even if they are short-sighted they're only sort of minus one or minus two and that's manageable whereas if they're over minus four and especially if they're over minus six downstream as they age there's massive complications that can come up such as glaucoma, macular degeneration, their retina falling off which are all very bad news.
0: Yeah yeah that doesn't sound particularly pleasant. Yeah so make sure you get your kids to play outside. I said at minus. 3.25 I think but that's uh, I can blame my parents for for that one unfortunately so Absolutely. shake my shake my fist at them that was really fascinating but let's look back around to growing up like lots of sport lots of outside time but were there any kind of big formative experiences when you were younger that have really set you on the path that you're on today?
1: There is a couple and one I've spoken about a few times on my podcast is that as a swimmer we're lucky enough that in my age group, I had one of the best swimmers in, in the country. And so I was always chasing his tail. And so I always had a goal to for. And sort of my last season of, of really giving it a, a good, serious go, we had a training camp in a tiny town in Northern Southland called Lumsden. And the first day, you know, it was the first time I ever training three times a day for two hours. And the final session, I think I had about two sets to go of these 400-meter freestyles. And, I was just out, out, I was, I, was I couldn't go anymore. And the coach made me finish the session, so would have normally taken me about oh, six minutes or so, I think it ended up taking me 15 minutes. And <sighs> uh, <laughs> trying to swim when your arms and legs are absolutely, I mean, they just don't want to move anymore, it was absolutely incredible. But it's one of those moments that really shows you that what you're capable of is far more than what you think you can do. And so that's something that's really formative. And again, it comes from from good coaching, and that's where my second formative zone was. We had a, a football coach come out from Newcastle in England, and had been in the Sunderland system, and and you know was full of skills and full of knowledge. And one of the things he instilled with all of us was look good, feel good, and play good. And so, I guess the deeper level of that is that if you prepare everything before the game, when you get to the game. Things will take care of themselves, and so those those two things really sort of set me up. And then just having the freedom to to explore anything you wanted to do in a small town, like you know, whether it be sports, whether it be music, whether it be you know production at school or or singing or anything like that, it was you know, there's if someone bullied you, there was equally someone to you know say that's no, that's cool, don't worry about it. Let's let's get after it. This is lots of fun. So yeah, it was a good good place to grow up.
0: Mm, awesome, yeah, and. I don't know if you've come, ever come across David Goggins. He's the epitome of, what does he say? When you think you're done, you're only about 40% of the way there. I think in terms of like human potential and what we can do, especially like from a physical point of view, is, is probably the easiest way for people to understand it, is that like when you do think you're done, there's, you've got a lot more in your, in your tank that your body will keep going when your mind is telling you, to stop and when it's sort of giving you those those cues to say, oh nah things are things are hurting, you're you're working pretty hard. But actually like that's just a really early, early, early warning system to say, hey, if you keep going, something might happen down the track. But if the fuel light came on about quarter of the way through the tank, you've still got so much more capacity to keep going and, and just sort of push the push the boundaries with that as well. And I think like it's not just from a physical perspective as well is it like I've, I've found that kind of working on myself and working on uh creating the podcast and doing the other stuff around the podcast as well is that sometimes it gets hard and it gets frustrating and you're just like oh man i'm i'm done i'm done but then you kind of go back and you think oh actually this is why i'm doing it and you, you can just kind of keep going after that point as well and To be clear, Ryan and I are not condoning not looking after yourself as well. Um, (laughs) But don't sell yourself short either.
1: Yeah, Um, Something that just has come to me these last holidays, and I'm sure I've heard it in a previous life, but listening to Sam Harris, both on Tim Ferriss and and talking to Peter Otea, something came up about that when you feel pain, it's actually already happened. And it's been the coolest realisation, especially like, your training in the morning or something like that or going through a hard time that actually, it's already over and whenever you look back on hard times, you'll you usually also think that, oh man, that was that was great, that was amazing, I got so much out of that but during it, it's tough as shit and, and you just want it to end so mm. that's, that's another sort of trick that I've tried to I know, tell myself to get out of things is that I'm going to look back on this as, as a great moment and yeah. And, yeah.
0: <laughs> and when you... Are you, are you always able to do that in the moment? How long have you been trying to train yourself to do that for?
1: That, that's just sort of just been, it was the end of November. Got back from visiting New Zealand for a weekend. And so I've been training sort of three days a week. Some weeks have been two days a week and to train that means that I have to get up at four thirty in the morning. And the amount of times I'd wake up and turn the alarm off and go back to sleep or Alex would be like, Oh no, just stay in bed don't go to the gym today and I'd listen to her. But I I don't know why, but when I came back I made sure I told myself that at the end of that you feel amazing and you have a great day. And especially on, on the days where I work locally I can finish the gym, can go over the road to the beach, have a swim, come back, have breakfast, spend the Good amount of time with both her and my daughter billy and and so since the end of november i've I've been able to go feels hard right now but at the end of this when i look back it is that was awesome i'm so glad i did it and then yeah just over christmas new year's when i heard that if you're experiencing pain that stimulus has already happened so yeah it's, mm. it's all pretty all pretty new and, and something that's been been good
0: yeah that's a that's a cool way to look at it actually that that it has whatever it is that has caused your problem has already happened and like I I see that quite a lot in my work as a physio is that people have this have this pain and have this injury and then there's so much anxiety around that pain and emotion wrapped up in it post-injury that I mean probably 50% of the people that come in and see me it's just purely kind of anatomical injury it's fine. You, you get them through it and then they're away laughing. But that other 50% that there is that anxiety and that emotion that's wrapped up in that pain, it just slows everything down and creates like a prolonged period of, of rehabilitation or I love the word catastrophizing about the injury and about the pain that's happened. And the way that I think of it as well is that like it's from a physical point of view, with an injury or something like that, but it it can also be from like a a mental and an emotional point of view as well is that if you have an uncomfortable time or an uncomfortable period, if you can view it as, hey, this discomfort has happened to me, but yeah, actually it's already happened and I can just kind of work work through it. But if you wrap that emotion and that anxiety up in it, then it just prolongs everything and, and really slows your process down
1: catastrophizing in process just then like trying to get a, a baby to sleep you can catastrophize it that oh mate this is this is gonna be the worst night ever i, I can't believe this well why, why won't they go to sleep but actually it can be half an hour or it can be three hours but then once it's over it's over and but if you catastrophize it yeah have oh, the night or the day it's ruined and then you you're upset you make the, the baby more upset and and the whole problem just escalates whereas if you as you said go back to the process and go right so i need to go through these you know there's about 20 things but through these things and see if one of them is the problem and you off more often than not you get there and it's back to normal and you're like, oh, actually it's okay
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel you on that one, eh? But sometimes, in saying that as well, you just need to put the baby down and go away and take five deep breaths, and then come back to it, <laughs> because it's hard to remove that emotion. Sometimes, when yeah. you are still in that situation, eh, but bro? Let's jump right back. This is this is a very kind of Tim Ferris style one. This one, just jumping all over the place. But let's go back to school. Why optometry? What what led you to that field of study?
1: Mada, uh, I consider myself exceptionally lucky in that at 12 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. When my younger brother, he's two and a half years younger than me, was in kindy, I don't actually know why, but I think he was quite a bit long-sighted and might've had a little bit of astigmatism. And so he wore glasses just to make sure that his visual system established. And when he was eight, so I was, and I was, that can't be right, Must have been about nine or 10, and I was 12, I went in and saw his exam and I was like, holy cow, that's, that's so cool. I think I might do that and before that I'd, I'd wanted to be a, a teacher in Queenstown so I could take the class skiing every day but um, and I wanted to be a fireman before that you know just all the typical kid things but then there was something that was really I don't know captured me about the way that series of tests and I was you know my dad's a physicist um, physics teacher and my mum she's a laboratory technician so I was always interested in science and things and basically through the science exam you could Give somebody a treatment and hopefully solve a problem. And it's not until I finished university that I realised that what drives me is improving people's lives, and that's what I've written down as why I do stuff. But yeah, at 12 years old, I saw this thing that was really cool. It involved lots of science, involved seeing lots of people, and I think at a baseline I'm an extrovert. You know, you probably need to be there, to do a podcast, but you got to interact with lots of people, help lots of people, and and change change their life potentially. And so, from 12 years old. It meant that I had a prescribed path in life and, and I just pursued it. So yeah, I mean, through school doing sciences and in junior school, you know, there's only one science, so I got to do things that I enjoyed like woodwork and metalwork and graphics and all that sort of, those sort of things. And then come come senior school, really knuckle down on those, those subjects. And it didn't all go to plan though, um, went up to university and that's probably one of the the downfalls of living in a place like in Macago, or to breeze through school and, you know, I'm doing pretty well and then got to uni and it all hit that hey, there's, there's a lot more to this when you do an exam, especially when it's worth 40% and, and you show up there having read over your notes thinking, I am prepared for that and yeah, you end up with 50% for 40% of your mark and basically ruins the rest of the year for you. So that meant going to Otago and, and having a good time there and, and doing Bachelor of Science and, and looking at I did anatomy and, and reproduction and development and, and neuroscience. Um, and then, yeah, went back to Auckland to, to carry on the journey of, of becoming an optometrist.
0: Nice, bro. And, like, I'm interested in the purpose as well. And, actually, you know that at the moment I'm writing in a, uh, a daily stoic journal that, mm. se- that, that Secret Santa bought me. And, and today that the question was, what is your purpose? And I was like, that's interesting. And, and it's something I've been thinking about for a little while and the kind of overarching stuff to be a great dad and be a great husband and be show up in relationships for for other people but like just thinking about it and as you say yours is to to help people and i've kind of been thinking about that a little bit myself and what i have what i've kind of come up with at the moment and it, it does tend to change but is just to make it easier for people to do hard shit
1: that's cool i i got mine again it's one of those sort of formative moments. I was sitting around um, in a flat in Auckland. I'd finished my degree. I knew that you know I'd got the marks. So I was ready to go. I was waiting on registration. And originally, at the end of uni, I was going to go to Australia and work in Hobart. And for various reasons i decided that actually maybe that wasn't the right thing to do so i was looking for where i was going to work in new zealand and and my brother sent me a had sent me a range of ted talks at the end of uni and i didn't have any time for that and then at that point in time i did have some time and i was watching through these these ted talks and one of them was yeah, around finding how do you find your why and and it was there was sort of three steps it was basically Working backwards through what Simon Steck does, you know, how do you do something what? What is it that you do? How do you do it? And then, so why? And then through the sentence, you came up with the why. And and so I was going to be an optometrist. I was going to do a range of examinations to figure out a problem. And in the end, I was going to solve their visual needs and improve their life. And that's where I got that final bit, improving people's lives. That was how that came about. And it was really cool in retrospect to look at what had, had, had driven me through all, all of that and, and the things that I sort of did and, and then probably some of my weaknesses and being a bit of a people pleaser and, and it was just because I was constantly in pursuit of making somebody else happy and, and that at times it probably have been at the expense of my own happiness. But yeah, it was really, really cool, like you say, formative moments like that that change your trajectory. And back to what we were saying before about, you know, hard times, you've got to try to connect back with why you're doing it having a strong why and i'm I'm reading chapter one by daniel flynn i think yeah yeah that's it from thank you and and that's one of the the topics that keeps coming up is you know three years of massive kickbacks but he was strongly connected with the fact that he wanted to change poverty and and he wanted to help people get access to clean water and so no matter what happened he was going to achieve that goal despite all the pain yeah
0: Mm. yeah and i think like you have so much more resilience if you understand why it is that you're doing something Mm. as well and um like i've been thinking about it like from a a work perspective as well is that like it's great to buy in the vision of the the company that you work for if if you work for a company if you're self-employed obviously you hopefully buy into what it is that you're doing but it's really important to understand why it is that you're there as well because that when, when times get tough that that company vision isn't going it's not going to be enough to keep you pushing mm. forward and keep you going with it but if you have that individualized hey this is this is what it's about and this is why i'm doing it then it does it it, it makes those uncomfortable times are a little bit easier to get through for people
1: absolutely and that's been been one of the issues that we've had coming here is from a professional level things haven't quite gone to plan but when we look back at, well, why did we put ourselves through it? Why did we, you know, with a three-month-year-old fly across the Tasman, away from our families, away from um, their helping hand? And it was the most of those young years with Billy and, and have a lifestyle and have a great story for her. And, and through connecting with that, we've gone to the beach more, we've explored more, and with that, it's brought more and more happiness. And, and so, yeah, you're right. When you connect back to why you do things, often... That any negativity can be pushed away and, and, and the, and the good feelings. Not only improve, but they also surmount because you continue to do that those things of while you're doing them yeah.
0: mm. i'm going I'm going pivot again, mate and, and I want to talk to you about concussion actually. I know concussions played a reasonably large part in, in your life, mm. and obviously you you see quite a few people coming into your clinic as well with concussion and, and problems associated with that. but do you maybe want to start with just kind of talking us through your experience with with being concussed
1: yeah, and a moment so I'd had a few head knocks here and there. Um, I don't know if there's a video of this, but my nose doesn't sit square on my face. I've got knee, knee in the face and, and have collided with a few people knee in the face playing water polo and then collided with a few people playing rugby. And playing soccer, I had a couple of head collisions as well and playing rugby, drop, you know, you have the little league's taken out from under your plane, and um, gun up for a high ball and land on the ground and, and get that sort of dizziness and, and shimmer in your, in your visual field for the day. And whiplash all the all those sort of minor ones but two years ago I collided with somebody when we were in an attack and I was going pretty hard and I got hit in the temple and it was one of those moments where the whole world went empty and I tried to stand up and I just couldn't do it uh, and I, I sort of pivoted around on my hands with my legs and I, I think it was that my vestibular system was just shot I didn't know which way was up which was left and which was right Physio came over and asked who we'd played the previous week and I just said, No, I dunno, I need to come near to come off. And, and having dealt with it and, and known a little bit about it, I knew that what had happened was was not good. So went to the sideline and, you know, got asked to score a few times and just couldn't put it together and my, my girlfriend was asking me, you know, what did we have for dinner last night? I uh, couldn't remember. And I'd made it and <laughs> crammed, crammed it. I was, like, super proud. It was delicious. It was this massive cheddar platter of, like, small birds and stuff. It was it was amazing. I can't remember now. And yeah, and then so it was like, right, so Waikato had thankfully uh, initiated the blue card system. So I had to go and check in with one of the um, registered doctor's. Um, in order to then start the recovery process f- from that. And so, yeah, went into the changing rooms and tried to shower and it took like so much concentration to be able to just like wipe your hands with the soap. And I was trying to text my dad and my, my gran and like, I could move my thumb, but I just couldn't, I had Asia. I couldn't put letters to mean words all of a sudden. And and I was obviously had a, had a little bit of um, eye movement problem because I couldn't like follow along the directionality of, of the words. Yeah, went home and I I knew that part of the symptom of concussion is is a energy deficiency. So when you have trauma in the brain, basically all the glucose in the brain gets sucked up straight away by the astrocytes, which are support cells between neurons. And what that then means is there's a little bit of an energy deficiency for the neurons. And whether that's protective or not, because it means that they're not running so high and not creating the same waste product. And it means you know, the same way that you put a cast on something, you should down-regulate that movement. Or, or you, you, when you have uh, an impact in your arm, it swells up and so you, your body doesn't want to move it i think i think that's part of that but i knew that yeah the neurons in terms of long term are suffering from the energy imbalance so i took another dose of exogenous ketones and yeah we drove into into the doctor in 30 minutes now this might have just been that i was recovering a little bit and, and maybe the swelling was coming down or, or whatever it was but they do a test called a scat five where they get you to know, try and remember random words and and balance on one leg and and remember numbers and all these sorts of things and I I passed it and the doctor was sort of shocked and that is like can you go through what happened again and I told him pretty much what I've told you now that I got smashed in the side of the head couldn't stand up couldn't remember anything and now I was feeling fine and I was able to you know start texting my dad again and yeah it was it's a scary place to be and luckily for that week hey I might have felt a little bit down and I didn't get any headaches or anything like that but yeah I managed to come out of it in in two weeks but you see people that come in to practice and they've been six months with a head injury and and they still can't read the worst one is for people that are that are long-sighted and and sort of in their mid-40s and they've been getting by with reading and and only chucking on some sort of magnifiers when they need to and all of a sudden not only can they not read but they can't see the distance anymore just because they're they're Sympathetic nervous systems and such shock that ability to relax and, and allow the ice to focus just isn't there. So, not only can they not focus up close, but they can't focus their distance vision either. And, and oh, you just your heart goes out to them. And, and, like you say, it adds to the anxiety of, of the problem. And, yeah catastrophize as you said their issue and it's going
0: to make things worse (laughs) and the problem with that that anxiety and that catastrophizing is that it just it ramps up that sympathetic nervous system even more so which prolongs the prolongs the problem Um, so it turns into a it turns into kind of a a really vicious cycle so like when you're working with visual problems post-concussion are you getting them to do some stuff that tries to dampen down their system?
1: Mate, and it's the same for anxious children who come in with, with reading difficulties and you test all their movements of their eyes and you test their focus of their eyes and everything should be normal, but they just can't relax enough to see up close. And it, I, the look on the faces of the parents when I do this is just, you know, uncanny. So I just will we'll get them to try and focus up close or converge up close and they just can't do it. And then I'll get them to do five long breaths, really focusing on their breath. And in terms of vergence, I can get them to bring whatever target is up to their nose and all of a sudden they can read again. Um, we do a thing called facility, which is what we do is it's basically eye press up, So we get them to really overact their focusing muscle and really relax out their focusing muscle because that's two things that can sort of be locked in place w- whereas you might be able to see well in the distance and can't see up close or you've been looking up close and then you can't look and see clearly in the distance and just with a simple you know break in, in, in the nervous system by giving them to relax out um, the thought is that by expanding the diaphragm you stretch the vagus nerve which is a big sympathetic nerve and and relax things out that then overall it it just starts to happen and so that's one of the biggest things when it comes to visual training is actually first breaking through this anxiousness and and, and sympathetic tension and tone so that then they can start to I guess prove to themselves that hey I'm not fully broken I'm just in in the state and, and of course, they're going to be quite tiring for some people. So initially, you might start off with sort of, you know, one or two cycles of, of whatever exercise. But yeah, allowing someone to make steps forward really helps them. And, and, you know, where I was in New Zealand, we'd sort of schedule in a 10-week program. And, and by the second or third time, uh, out of five, people might be right and we didn't need those last two lessons. So, and I'm sure it's something that you sometimes see with, with physio that when you prove to someone that, Hey, something's getting better, or there is a potential to be better with a little bit of manipulation or whatever. Then, then they really take off.
0: Exactly, and I think a lot of people's pain and problems, are, especially people with persistent pain, is caused, but by just that that overactivity of the sympathetic nervous system. And the way that I think about it is that it gets trained. Mm. to be active all the time because you're consistently providing it stimulus. It's like you would get really good at lifting weights if all you did was go and lift weights. That actually, it's almost trying to retrain that nervous system to allow yourself to relax and and to start to move a little bit better as well, and it's a very similar concept when you're I think when you're dealing with feelings of discomfort or especially the ones that have a lot of I mean discomfort is really normal and it's it's a natural phenomenon that we that we have, um, but the problem occurs when it starts to there's a lot of emotion and anxiety associated with it that gets that sympathetic nervous system going and and, and ramped up. And then it's really hard to kind of break out or kind of move past that, that discomfort. It's very similar to all of the other bodily systems that rely on, on your nervous system as well. So I mean that, that, five deep breaths or kind of getting into a relaxed position works really well for the physical side of things, but actually it also works really well for the emotional and the feelings of discomfort as well is that you'll, you'll feel a whole lot better and often you'll be able to move forward a little bit more just by stopping and taking five deep breaths or 10 deep breaths or you're a big one for, for working on mindfulness as well or doing some mindfully.
1: Yeah. And, there was just what you were saying about training just then. Is, and, and when you have something uncomfortable, if you're if you're trained to react in a certain way and you don't, you're don't, you not mindful of how you react to stuff, then when something bad happens or something uncomfortable happens and your immediate response is, um, oh, I don't like it, I'm going to stop, or um, I'm going to get angry, or I'm going to cry, or I'm going to get anxious and, and catastrophize this, then that's what's going to happen. But when you can sit there and and really consider how, how do I react to something, then you open up a whole bunch of possibilities and a whole bunch of alternatives. For a long time, I had a really bad problem of going off at referees, and I'm still, it can still creep into things. And probably the best thing for me was actually to be the captain and be able to talk, talk to the referee and have a discussion, whereas <laughs> we because because then, then I could sort of apply some control to the situation. And I think that was also part of it. I felt like a loss of control. But, and it's something that All, all Blacks do and one of the sports psychologists that we had at our rugby club taught me is that the way you feel influences the way you behave, which then influences your actions or something like that. Mm. And so if you can change, the way you feel influences your thoughts, which influences your behavior. So if you can cut off your thoughts, then you can actively change the behavior which then actively comes back and changes how you feel which then also means that you can think think more clearly and yeah that, that just goes to being mindful about the way you react and and again something that Sam Harris talked about in, in this podcast was you know when you're eating breakfast and especially going back to having a young one, you're sort of wanting to take the opportunity to get it down and get get filled, so then if anything goes wrong, you can you can deal with it instead of being halfway through a meal. But often when we eat, we're not appreciating the mouthful, the the sensation that we've got right now. And actually, we're thinking about the next mouthful or the next bit on our plate or that drink that we're going to have with it. And we don't truly appreciate it. So it's a real fun task to sit there and and you'll notice how quickly your mind wanders and goes to other things. And so, yeah, sit there and try to chew the mouthful, finish the mouthful and taste the taste. But don't don't worry about the fact that you will look at something, start reading something, want to grab that drink. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really buzzy And when it comes to doing mindfulness meditation, it's the same thing. It's in the, in the Sam Harris version, he'll just get you to focus on breathing. And then after a series of guidedness, he'll get you to count to 10 breaths and try to concentrate and count to 10. And it's bloody hard to get to the end of the 10 and not have, thought about something else or even remember what you were even doing <laughs> and he comes in about you know about, i guess 30 seconds later and says you know well done if you got to dead but likely you've forgotten what you were doing
0: yeah yeah i think when i when i try well when i tried to do that to start with i got to like two and then something would pop in i'm like damn it <laughs> start again. but yeah i like the eating one i think that's a really cool way to quite an enjoyable way to train mindfulness as long as you're eating something that's that's good but i think as well like not mindfully eating probably actually contributes to the obesity and, and health epi- epidemic that we that we're facing at the moment as well as that people just keep putting stuff in without thinking about it too much another great way to train mindfulness is sex as well wow. being, <laughs> being in that moment focusing not letting your thoughts wander too so for those listeners practice those too at, at the same time if you want to but other than those two methods, mate, how do you train your mindfulness?
1: Another one that I guess it's cold therapy is another one. It's being aware of how quickly you want to get out of a situation. It's quite amazing. And it goes back to training and being in a painful, you know, pain is a great stimulus to look at how you react to something. And so before you even turn the shower on, thinking about, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, this is silly it won't matter that I don't do this today, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, what if I start with hot? Then, then I'll be able to turn it to cold and you know, I'll just get a little bit at the end. And But being aware of where your thoughts are at, can, you can then do the thing that you wanted to do. And another time is, is driving. And like driving is really hard because back to that sympathetic nervous system, you're traveling at 50 or 100 k's an hour and you're taking in so much information all at once and so your body, without you realizing it, you might think that you're sitting there nice and relaxed, listening to music or a podcast, or the sound listening of the road to this, and
0: the stag roll. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> um, taking in, taking in the beautiful countryside. But actually, your automatic nervous system is ready for anything dangerous at any time. So that's why if something untoward happens, like someone cuts you off, or you know the narrow roads that I drive the person sort of comes down the road in the middle of the road at you and you go what the hell are you doing that's why you react so quickly but what I try and do is identify faster that hey it's all right I'm fine don't worry about it and that's another time when when I'll do sort of five breaths and even sometimes driving along I'll remember and go just do five breaths right now it's it's okay yeah that's another time that that I practice mindfulness and it's Again, going back to the baby thing, when Billy's crying or upset, I, I try not, not react negatively or take it on board that it's my fault or my, my problem and just try to stay in the moment and try to help her. That's, again, another thing when I practice. Examining how I feel and how I react and probably, you know, brings up some thoughts of, of what, how you were sort of treated as a child, you know, good or bad or indifferently, but um, how you sort of felt about the way that people projected onto you, That's it's amazing where you go when you start to really delve deep into why do I feel this way
0: mm. and I know that you're quite a big one on exploring those thoughts and kind of pulling at those threads and another way that you do that is by journaling as well eh
1: yeah so it's it's kind of like a, a mindset shift for the day and it's the same with what I said about getting up and, and going to the gym and going to swim it, it helps to establish a positive mindset there's plenty of people out there say you know win the morning win the day or you know importance of morning routines and all that sort of carry on but I start off with writing the date and it just gets me going so writing the date if you've watched the Richie McCall movie writing start again I think that's a powerful simple way to, to get things going two Tim Ferris things 30,000 and 86,400 so you should live for about 30,000 days and there's 86,400 seconds in a day. And so I've got that there established and it means that, hey, I'm writing, hey, I'm journaling. Of late, I've started to find a quote, whether from someone that's sort of, I don't know, known as a good philosopher or a writer or something, and just just Google it. Or like I was reading the Legacy All Blacks book, I, I got a couple of things out of the air or soon to read tribal Mentors once Alex has finished chapter one. But yeah, if, if there's something that really resonates, or a podcast that has a good statement, I'll write that down. And then three things I'm grateful for, three affirmative statements, and by that stage you're really thinking about who you want to be, what you want to be known for, what characteristics you'd like to portray. So write those things down. So they might not be things that I'm currently doing or they might have also been things that I let slip and it's a good way to remind yourself that, hey, Maybe that wasn't so good, but this is how I want want to be. And then the last thing is, uh, I again write things that I'm grateful for, but that haven't actually happened. So it's kind of visualization exercise, maybe maybe manifestation if you want to call it that. But yeah, really trying to align that sort of north star, sort of what why am I doing this for? What what's the sort of outcomes that I would love in an ideal life? And and that's that's basically my journaling for the day, and. It, and it kicks it off and, I, and i'll share the quote on on instagram on its leg Vision and yeah the old person comes back and it resonates with them so it's cool
0: mm. and i think i mean right writing things down and, and it's not something that i do like on a super regular basis although with date day four on the uh on the stoic journal so i've got what another depending on Trend which literature tr- you yeah <laughs> another 362 days to go or uh, at least another 62 days to turn it into a habit depending on what what literature you look at but yeah it's been interesting and i find writing stuff down for me as well as that i again kind of if we go back to slowing the brain down as well as mm. slowing the nervous system down is that Often I have so many thoughts going around and just whizzing around in my head that it's really hard to make sense of them while they're in there. Like yourself, I'm kind of an extroverted person as well. And I think a lot of extroverts, one of the characteristics of them is that they think externally as well, is that actually, like if I'm having a conversation with someone or I'm starting to write something down... I don't know the full extent of what I'm thinking until I've had this conversation or until I've written this stuff down is that like, I'll get partway through and I'm like, holy shit, do I think that? Mm. Um, Or why do I think that? So it's, yeah, I think uh, like, as we've talked about previously, it's, it's another really good way to one be mindful to slow things down and three kind of be proactive about the direction that you want to take in life and like I being from New Zealand I don't like the term North Star like I don't know why <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why we don't use Southern Cross for that that's what we used yeah. to navigate down here man and, and I
1: always always look at it especially being from, from South and it's like I look at that, that Southern Cross and go my home's yeah. down there and you you just brought up a thought, like, I have a blog and I'm intermittent with that. And that's mostly because I actually hate writing. I hated English so much. I was so excited when Seventh Form came around, or year 13, whatever you want to call it. but And I didn't have to do it anymore. And then you get to uni and you've got to write essays. And it was just, I don't know, three hours of hell just trying to get thoughts out onto a Page and answer the right question the right way and and um, looking at my marks you you probably think that maybe I didn't write them the right way but (laughs) we got there in the end but it's incredible when I start to blog I basically will have a topic and then I'll just go and all and it will only take me like twenty or thirty minutes and I'll be on the page and I will just be like holy shit where did that all come from and like you say was that actually what I was thinking about and so many feelings and and thoughts and inputs just get out and then i'll get alex thankfully you know she's amazing she'll she'll edit it for me and then fix up all the grammatical disasters as i said i got rid of simple form english um that, that are in there and then then i'll just put it out to the world but yeah it's it's amazing like you say um we think externally and and it's exactly right. I find all these links with things that I've heard or things that I've seen or things that I've done or people have done or people have told me and it's always constantly coming in. And, and that moment to slow down and write, start writing it out and, and get rid of it is, is so therapeutic.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I find even writing about it more than one time, as well, is that you'll, you'll understand things a bit better the first time around, but every time you do it, you'll add another layer on top of it. Question for you, though, mate, is when you're, when you're blogging, why don't you put some of the stuff that you journal about in there and yeah, create, yeah, create a bit more consistency around it?
1: Interesting you say that, because that's probably what i have got to write about next, is because I've had a few people say, oh, how do you go about it, or what do you do? So I'll probably do a blog about how i journal and then yeah like you said it might might spark <laughs> spark something off to, to be more consistent mm. which oh, you know, no, I've, no. I've done done two in the last month so maybe maybe i'm getting more consistent
0: again i don't know <laughs> nice and i don't i don't just mean how to journal i mean like the actual content of what it is that you're journaling about as well it's like you journal then you yeah. then you turn that into a blog something to something to ponder anyway mate something to ponder (laughs) before we tie things off i want to have a chat about your podcast actually the stag roar great podcast great great guests myself included but like where did that come from so
1: i was reading tools of Titans. had just started so alex had got into gary v which i saw you put up a post today about gary v and I was the same as you. I was like, oh, that's gosh, shit."
0: Yeah. Man, you're a, you're a dick. When I met him, actually, I was like, I had to say to him, I was like, sorry, mate, I thought you were a dick when I first came across you. And he's like, thank you so much. He, he likes it. He's like, yeah, these these people that used to hate me but now like me, they're the ones that I enjoy the most.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I was, we were down at a... Um, work we can had a conference in Rotorua and we're driving back and Alex was playing a few other things I was like oh that's actually quite good and then um so I was like oh what's what's the deal with like, it's literally on your phone podcast app is literally on your phone and you can get access to anything and I was like wow that's amazing and so I was like well I heard Joe Rogan and watched I'd watched a few of Joe Rogan already but I was like oh I can just listen to that this is this is awesome and then I was like oh Tim Ferriss oh so yeah now I'll listen to that you know, I've been told four-hour work works is a great book and still haven't read it, but it is good. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've been told it's amazing. And then Joe interviewed this guy called um Dan Doty and it was about his podcast basically. And and Dan had recorded the first hunt that Joe Rogan went on, and that was their connection. And so Dan's podcast is called Everyman Podcast, and basically that's a gateway to the organization that he runs which is men's groups and and men's retreats and also Dan and a few other guys and every man do some personal coaching as well and so then I started listening to Dan's podcast and also Gary V had a podcast saying about anchor like everyone you know if you like talking or you've got an idea just start podcasting go on anchor and I was like oh, that sounds fine and yeah I was listening to these and Dirty Podcast, and they were one and two. And I was like, man, this guy's just started. He's got so many amazing thoughts. And it m- might have been the day I was I was driving off to a hunt and the, the sunrise was coming up and had a day out of the bush. And so I was able to ruminate all day. And yeah, I was like, well, my why is improving people's lives. What can I podcast about? And I thought that I know a lot of young people that are trying to make a difference in the world, trying to start something maybe a podcast could help their platform take off just in a little bit. Now, you know, it's not going to be the same as going on Joe Rogan and, you know, reaching 3 million people or something and, you know, 200... 200- Thousand of those, thinking, "Well, that's really awesome. I'm going to buy that product or support that cause or whatever." But I was like, "It's got to start somewhere." And like this guy, Dan Doty he was just starting in order to start off his business and start off this movement of every man. And it's been awesome. He's been on the Today Show, and and yeah, he's one of the things that if they release a podcast, I tune in. And, and I posted yesterday about the one that they had. It was it was a powerful story. It was another hunter. He writes a magazine called The Hunter's Path, and he's just been diagnosed with pancreatic and liver cancer basically he was like fit as hell and and all of a sudden he couldn't keep weight on he'd lose 15 kgs and go oh shit and so then he'd go in the gym and change his diet and put it back on and he be like sweet that's fine and then all of a sudden it was gone again and so he went to the doctor and the doctor was like oh you're diabetic he's like what the hell you know what why am i diabetic and then the doctor was like well, you're the wrong age to be type 2 diabetic. You're the wrong physique to be type 2 diabetic. I think there's something more going on. And and yeah, sure enough, he had this bad cancer in his liver and pancreas. That's why he's not producing the insulin and and his blood sugar had gone crazy. He's he's since managed to turn diabetes around and he's off insulin. And and yeah, he's since recording the podcast, he's doing well. But yeah, it's just these real powerful and and raw discussions. And I was like, yeah, I want to Try and do that. So, yeah, um, I contacted a guy that I, that I knew through exogenous um, ketones, and we sat down and recorded a podcast. And then my mate, who runs a non for profit in the Waikato called The Water Boy, um, and now they're, they're doing anything uh, really well. Not that it's probably anything to do with my podcast, but yeah, <laughs> <Play laughs> we interview, yeah, interviewed him. And, and another friend is running a real boutique personal gym that really focuses on like core movements and values in nutrition interviewed him and at the time I was still involved with an organisation which now has also gone really well Se- Seed Waikato, so I talked to one of the guys from rugby there and I thought he'd have a really good message and yeah, just from there I thought that I can help share someone's message to you know what was originally a small audience and one day hopefully will be a large audience and, and make a difference for those people and also selfishly get to interview people prove to myself that you know there's not a not necessarily one way of doing things and you know people that are less ordinary are always good to prove to yourself that hey maybe this little idea that i've got in my head could go somewhere and and the podcast serves two purposes and that the people you're interviewing prove to you that there's another way in doing the podcast is well, you prove to yourself that you know you can make make an influence and make a difference and yes that's what thought process happened behind it. and it's still just caught it on my laptop and, And um, chuck through Anchor out to the world, and (laughs) yeah, it's
0: cool. Awesome, mate! And if people want to check it out, like, how do they do that? Yeah, so it's
1: on most platforms. That's the beauty of Anchor is that they then share it out to most platforms. So if you're a iPhone user, that app is literally straight on your phone. That big purple thing with a it's kind of like a transmitting speaker image. Um, That's podcast app, and if you just go in there and search the Stagraw, you should find it anchor on the internet or on your phone they're just an app androids have things like stitcher podbean overcast yeah pretty much any podcast app you'll be able to find the stag raw um, on there and i've got up to about episode 49 on youtube and that's just under rhino connor and another sort of creative outlet i have there i've got the rugby roundup on youtube from i think two seasons and then on my instagram i've got this season that i played in australia on itv
0: (laughs) Where can people connect with you on Instagram?
1: Yeah, at Vision's really good. Um, and also have personality maybe. I have at Ryan as well, but that, that's more my sort of day-to-day and family and me and Alex exploring stuff. And then, and also the sort of hunting stuff I do it will be on Steg Ryan. Um That's where I follow hunters and things like that. But then on that StagVision, it's more sort of performance and and um, mindset. And, and so, yeah, I follow lots of athletes and, and gym owners and stuff like that. on. On stack visions, so that's where I go for that sort of motivation, and where I go for more sort of, I suppose it's my yin and yang, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, mate. Now we're at the questions that you've been waiting for. Hopefully, you've you've prepped these, bro, because they're going to yeah. get tough. What was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it?
1: The last uncomfortable thing I did was yesterday morning. The wad was having to do a run and then continually heavier shoulder overhead movements. So it was a barbell. And yeah, I got through it by thinking about the pain I'm feeling has already ended. And um, unfortunately I was the person that was leading the class. So I don't know, I think there was a little bit of, maybe I can win, you know, you're never winning, but win the class or get the best time or, I don't know, set set the example, motivate others. I don't know what it was, but yeah, that was how I was getting through
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's uh what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you?
1: Uncomfortable thing that I'm going to do is going to be we're flying back to New Zealand for a fortnight. Why is that uncomfortable is because there's a little bit of anxiety around it. Uh, we've done it twice now once when we flew over here flying with a baby's always unknown. She was perfect on the plane perfect for an hour of drive and then cried the rest of the way home and probably the rest of the day. And then we flew to well, we flew to Queenstown via Sydney and then had to drive another two hours home to McArgill. And so, again, Billy was awesome on the plane. Car trip didn't go so well. And then also sleeping in another bed didn't go so well. So that's the next uncomfortable thing that um, I've got to do. And basically, all I need to tell myself is that We've done it before and it's worth it and it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Delusional, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mate, uh, and we've, we've talked about a lot of these already, but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations?
1: I, I, I touched on it there with the podcast. It's, there's always examples of people that have done, done stuff, so why can't you? That's, uh, it's, it might not mean that you can do it right now, but you could probably do some variation in it right now and work towards that end goal um you know i find that inspiration is good to prove to yourself that it's possible especially when it's hard or, or you've got a goal that seems beyond reach and this is another thing that i do i, I try to set goals i try to minimize those goals make them down into smaller and smaller and smaller steps try and Yeah, you've probably heard of the term smart goals. You 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 try set them, measure them, can never remember what A is attainable,
0: or Uh, achievable, or accurate. Yeah,
1: realistic, and then T time bound. Time, ah, that's right, time. bound. yeah, yeah. So it's not something that I like. I just know that that's what they're called. It's just something that (laughs) sort of happens. (laughs) And sometimes I write them down too. Yeah, Yeah. Um, my long term goal is to own a deer farm that's sort of a destination farm with a restaurant and things. And so I have, in the start of my diary, I have all these ideas around it. So that, that's another, another way that I do it, to help visualize it. And, and like I said, that visualization
0: I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some time with me today it's been It's been great to connect and have a chat and the conversation always flows so so easily when uh, when I'm talking with you, which is great but I also want to say thank you so much as well for for your purpose and for for getting out there and actually making an improvement in in people's lives and helping them improve their own lives too and hopefully i'm sure that the people listening today will have will have taken some stuff away that they can use to to improve their situation either in the moment or or in the future so thanks for that mate
1: awesome man it's an absolute pleasure
0: (laughs) and i've got one final question for you do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week
1: this is one I did prepare. <laughs> so it goes back to my interview I did with um, Robert Dunn, who's the CEO of November New Zealand. Um, we did that in November, of course. And it, it kind of also ties into being mindful and aware. And it's finding out the family history that you have in your family. Because it's a question that I ask in practice that very few people know the answer to. And the reason why I think that's so important, especially as guys, is that that allows you to be aware of, I guess, your mortality, but the finiteness of of your everyday, the sort of everyday decisions that you make. It helps to give you an idea of of what you're at risk for and potentially make changes that that, uh, influence your future. So, for example, in the eyes, anybody that has a family history a parent with macular degeneration is 26% chance of getting it themselves. And so that's reasonably high. However, if that person avoids seed oils, if they try and eat around three servings a week of oily fish, they consume plenty of um, eggs and, and green leafy vegetables and orange and red vegetables, only a handful of raw nuts a week, you know, they can virtually eliminate that 26% risk factor. And like most things, if they don't smoke, that risk is, is really gone. And then even for the smokers out there, if they quit smoking within 10 years, their risk um, ratio has returned to that of a non-smoker. So it doesn't just apply to eyes, but it applies to everything. So for one of the key things that drives me um, when it comes to diet and nutrition and health is that I lost my grandfather to type 2 diabetes. So I know that I'm at risk more of type 2 diabetes. You know, we're all pretty, pretty highly at risk of type 2 diabetes, but I have that in my genetic makeup. And so that's why I try to avoid processed carbohydrates, um, try to minimize easily digestible carbohydrate, uh, why sort of lean more towards keto, ketone, actosis and, and and paleo way of living and why I exercise and try to maintain a good body composition. You know, it helps to give you a why when you're in touch with what might be your mortality. And I, I think Tim Ferriss and it's in he'll probably come up with in Daily Stoic. It's something that Ryan Holiday put puts forward is that Memento mori. Great artists used to put a, a skull in in their images and and people used to have a skull on their desk to know that. This life is finite and, and we all um, have mortality. And so it's what we do with today and what we do with our time that, that matters and makes it you know, live a powerful and impactful life. Yeah, mm. that's why i leave people with energy challenge. Find out your family history.
0: Mm. Yeah, cool challenge, man. Cool challenge. Ryan, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. No worries, man. It was awesome. Thanks so much. There you have it team I hope you enjoyed that one as I said it was pretty conversational reasonably kind of casual sort of conversation there and I know most of my conversations are quite casual but this one's probably even more so just because Ryan and I know each other I would love to actually know what you think around that style compared to some of the other ones that I do I know some of the other ones are maybe slightly more formal where do you think you get the most value where do you enjoy listening the most to that hit me up on social media on facebook or instagram at uncomfortable is okay or on chris desmond on linkedin as well i'd love to love to hear your thoughts if you enjoyed the episode make sure to share it out share the love there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that is going to be helpful for people and if you're in wellington on the 26th of january i'd love to see you along at the Samount Workshop, all about making it easier for you to take on a challenge, step out of your comfort zone in 2019, take you through the process, we'll teach you the strategies, have a lot of uncomfortable fun along the way. Just to tie things off, thanks so much Jylan. awesome editing mate, thank you so much for Jeremy Desmond, for the amazing theme music, you guys make this sound respectable at least if not good Um, and thank you as always to all of you for tuning in spending some time getting uncomfortable with ryan and i today